I want you to join me in the book of 2 Kings chapter 3. 2 Kings chapter 3. Please continue to pray for all that have been affected by sicknesses. Don't forget there are other sicknesses besides COVID-19. And there are some folks that are dealing with it. And uh, um, we just need the Lord to keep his hand on people and keep us safe. And be safe everywhere you go. Amen. Plead the blood when you get up. Plead the blood when you walk out of your house. Plead the blood when you lay down at night. I don't think you can overplead, do you? No. Praise God. This is an interesting chapter. This is the beginning, kind of the ending of uh, Ahab's reign, which was a wicked king and had done wickedly in the sight of the Lord. His wife Jezebel, they had allowed... Uh, the gods of her fathers to be brought into Israel. And uh, Ahab's reign has come to an end. And Jehoram, their son, is now leading in the kingdom. And I would like to, uh, I would like to pick up later in the chapter, if we could tonight, for the sake of time, and read to you from, uh, from verse 16. But basically what happens is that Jehoram comes to Jehoshaphat, which is the king of Judah, and he says to him uh, that the king of Moab has come against us, and uh, he said, I, I really feel like uh, it's time for us to take care of business, and will you join with me and fight with me against the king of Moab? And he said, well, sure, I'll, I'll go with you. He said, I, I, I was with your dad when it was time to do godly warfare, and I'll be with you. And uh, he said, which way do you want to go? He said, well, let's go by Edom. Why would they go by Edom? Because the king of Edom would join them. And so they get out into the wilderness. They have three kings together. And Jehoram says, well, I guess the Lord brought these three kings out here to teach us a lesson. Because here we are coming out to fight. And there's no water. We're going to die. We don't have any way to feed our, our cattle to give them drink. I guess the Lord's trying to teach me a lesson for the deeds of my father. And somebody gets the bright idea to speak up and say, is there not a prophet here? And they said, yeah, there is a prophet. His name is Elisha. And the word of the Lord is in him. In other words, he has the gift of prophecy. He can prophesy. And so he comes up and, and they begin to converse and he said you know if it wasn't for Jehoshaphat I wouldn't be here talking to you right now because your father was evil and he said well let's let, let's just work through this together and he said okay here's what I need I need you to go get me a minstrel he said I'm not in the mood to be prophesying I'm not in the mood for revival I'm not in the mood for miracles I'm not in the mood for signs and wonders I need some music and so they got him a minstrel that began to play and the Holy Ghost moved on the prophet of God. The Lord began to speak to him and he comes up with this crazy request when they needed water in verse 16. He said, thus saith the Lord, make this valley full of ditches. For thus saith the Lord, you shall not see wind, neither shall you see rain. Yet the valley shall be filled with water. It won't be because of a storm. It won't be because of rain. 
But you're going to see water that you may drink both you, your cattle, and your beast. I love verse 18. And this is but a light thing in the sight of the Lord. He said, and while he's at it, let me interject this. He will deliver the Moabites into your hand. May the Lord richly bless you tonight. You may be seated. He will deliver the Moabites into your hand. Now, as we move down through this chapter, verse 19, he said, you're going to smite every fence city. Every choice city shall fell every good tree, stop all the wells of water, and mar every good piece of land with stones. And it came to pass in the morning, when the meat offering was offered, that behold, there came water by the way of Edom, and the country was filled with water. Is that what the Lord said he would do? Did anybody read in the chapter where there was wind and rain that came? Did anybody see that? Did the Lord say it's not going to happen by wind? Did the Lord say it's not going to happen by rain? He just said, get busy, dig the ditches, and watch me work. Now let me preach to you for just a few minutes. i got to lay some groundwork tonight. And then we're going to let the Holy Ghost do whatever he wants to do in this place. But we find the children of Israel standing with Jehoshaphat and with the king of Edom. And they're in a pretty tight predicament. It's kind of like what I talked to you about this morning. It seems as though they're trying to do the right thing. And in doing the right thing, they come to a wilderness place and there is no water for them. But reading this story, you find very quickly a principle that I feel like somebody needs to get down in your spirit tonight. God did not bring them this far to leave them. God did not bring them this far in the journey for them to die of thirst. I've come to tell somebody tonight that's felt a little downhearted like you've just been trying to do the right thing, but you've come to a place where you're back is against the wall. And if God don't move, you're going to die in a wilderness place. But I feel like telling you that God likes to work when nothing else will. There's going to come a time in your life that you feel like your back is against the wall and there's nowhere else you can go. That right there is when God starts doing his best work. When you've exhausted everything you know to do, you've cried out and done everything you can, that's when God does his best work. I want you to know tonight that he's a God that sits high and he looks low. He is mindful of us tonight. Turn to your neighbor and tell them this is not what it looks like. This is not what it looks like. So here they are. And there's some carnality. There's some carnality in Jehoram's mind. Now, he moved in the right direction because he tore down the the, the altars, the groves that his mother had brought in and that his father had allowed to be built. He went ahead. 
and, and, and he tore those down. But the scripture said that even though he was not as bad as his father was, that he still allowed himself to come into alignment with the sins of Jeroboam. And so he connects himself to Jehoshaphat, who was, I believe, a man of God. And they're standing together. And the powerful thing about this story to me is how God deals with his people. That just because there was an evil king that came along, and the sins of the fathers continue to be passed down from generation to generation. God did not recant or take back his promise to his people. That you will be my people and I will be your God. The structures of that present world became irrelevant to God. The Lord said, you let me take care of the kings and I'll take care of my people. I wish somebody could grab what I'm preaching to you right now. Some of you are all caught up right now in what's going to happen with the kings of the earth. What's going on with China? What's going on with Russia? Well, there's a lot going on with China and Russia. A whole lot. Anybody notice over the weekend that there was an assassination in Iran? Now, everybody's all up in the air. Oh, God, what are we going to do? What's going to happen with Iran? What are we going to do? Is, is, are they going to retaliate? What? What are they going to do? Oh, dear God, are they going to attack Israel? What's going to happen? Well, it remains to be seen what they're going to do. The truth of the matter is, when the United States put a hit on one of the top terrorists that had ever passed through their way, there were all kinds of threats that came and none that were followed up with. But whether or not they decide to retaliate when they find out who did this or they ever find out about it or not, here's what I want you to know. If you want to be depressed, just read the headlines. If you want to be encouraged, just know this. No matter what happens, God is in control. Some are worried about, well, what are we going to do if they get their hands on nuclear weapons? Got bad news for you. They've had them since the 80s. been there since the 80s they've got them they've got plenty of them we have plenty of them too well pastor what are we going to do if there's nuclear warfare i don't know but i plan on getting out of here when it starts could you imagine in the moment in a twinkling of an eye oh my 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 let me remind you tonight the lord is not surprised by what's going on with the kings of the earth and we are still his people. So they find themselves in a bad place and Jehoram, his first thought is, I did this, but I didn't realize I was playing to the hands of the Lord and he's brought us three kings out here to die. And so there's a moment of desperation that comes to him as to say, we're done, we're finished, it's over, just seal the deal, it's done. We're getting ready to get killed, the Moabites are going to come in, wreak havoc on us, take care of us, because we're going to be so weak and so feeble, we have nowhere to get water. Somebody say amen. amen. Man, that's good, I wish y'all had one right now. There's nowhere for us to get water, we're going to die right here. Now, folks, I'd be remiss if I didn't stop right here for just a minute. 
to preach to you from my heart and from what I know. It's not over until God says it's over. It's easy to look at all the evidence that's around you and say, well, I guess this is it. I guess God's done with me. I guess God's going to wash his hands with me. It's not over until God says it's over. Somebody needs to tell that lying spirit that's been whispering in your ear, it's over. It's all said and done. God's finished with you. Somebody ought to tell that lying devil tonight, it's not over until God says it's over. See, I told you I couldn't stop without preaching. I just got to preach that to you. I got to let somebody know tonight. It is not over. Somebody shout it. It's not over. Until God says it's over. Well, pastor, the judge said, I don't care what the judge said. I mean, no disrespect to a judge. But the doctors, I don't care what the doctor said. I mean, no disrespect to a doctor tonight. But I'm telling you, until God says it's over. There's some that feel like COVID's going to get the final word in the end time church. And I'm saying it's not over yet. There's some that feel like the church is on its way into a decline. That before the coming of the Lord, we're going to fall apart. I rebuke it in Jesus' name. He's coming back for a church that has made herself ready. We're going to be without spot or wrinkle. And we're going to be mighty. Yes, somebody shout hallelujah. Hallelujah. Well, I guess the Lord brought us out here, and this is what he's he's trying to teach me a lesson. So I guess we're done. Now, this is going to sound self-serving because I know what I do and I know who I am. But I absolutely love the thought of what happens when somebody gets their back against the wall. And they don't know what else to do. The voice is lifted up and says, is there a prophet here? Now this is going to sound old fashioned. I know that. I know I risk that. It's going to sound old fashioned. But I'm still a firm believer. There's not very many things you'll go through in your life. That's some good old time Preaching and singing. They said, give me a prophet. And the prophet said, give me some music. It seems to me that the moment before deliverance comes, they had to create an atmosphere of worship for the word of God to go forth. You want me to tell you what we need in this hour? We don't need another headline. We need a word from God. We need a prophet that will speak in this hour and give us a word. We need a prophet. We need a man of God. We need a voice in this hour. I feel like we have underestimated the value of being together in the house of the Lord. And I feel like the enemy has played that right into his hands. He has allowed us to fear and be overcome with fear. And some have been in a place of fear that you have never known before because we never crossed this way before. But it's a true fact 
that over the last several months I've had more than one occasion of people that have walked into this house and said, Pastor, i got to be honest, I was nervous about coming back together. But when I got into the presence of the Lord and I got into the house of God, they said all of those fears just begin to go away. You want me to tell you why? Because there's power in the children of God being together. There's power in the preached word of God. There's power in worship when the music begins to play. There is no substitute for us being together and worshiping God. If you believe it, shout yes. I tried. I I did my very best to make the best out of it. Never did get youth to preaching to an empty room. I don't mean this in any any negative context whatsoever, but I'm telling y'all right now, I hated preaching to an empty room. I hated it. It was horrible. When you'd prepare and put your heart before God, get up here and preach, and I still had to sweat and stink. And I'd get to the end of it when the altar should be filling up. Music ought to be playing. People ought to be praying through the Holy Ghost. And somebody reached out to us from North Carolina and said, I want to be baptized in Jesus' name. I said, well, thank God. We're going to get it. Where are you from? They said, North Carolina. I was like. (laughs) I'm here preaching, sweating. I'm from North Carolina. Can you find me somewhere? Yeah, we did. We found, we connected them with somebody. Get them baptized in Jesus' name. But it's this feeling of hopelessness that the enemy loves for you to feel. I had guys tell me this. They said, well, bro, I guess we better just get used to it. Wrong answer, Bob. You can't replace what we feel in the house of the Lord for anything. Lanny Wolf wrote a song. He said, I love the thrill that I feel when I get together with God's wonderful people. I'm telling you tonight, I'm glad that we're in the house of the Lord. I'm glad that I'm preaching to a full house. I'm glad that the choir was in the choir loft tonight. I'm glad that the praise team was on the platform. And I'm really glad that you're here to worship. What are you going to do, Pastor? We're going to do the same thing we've been doing. If you don't feel well, stay home. If you feel good and you know you're healthy, come on to the house of the Lord. Come on, somebody. You know, I got to read, and I don't want to get sidetracked here, but Pastor King, I got, I got to reading in the book of James while we were all separated from being together. I thought, how in the world am I going to lay hands on the sick and pray the prayer of faith if the sick aren't here? And the truth of the matter is, you can't. So at some point, we're going to have to resign ourselves to the fact, now this is going to sound dark, so don't, don't get all kinds of discouraged. But if the Lord don't come back pretty quick, This will not be the last time we see something on this matter. 
Most Americans are just going along and act like they don't have a clue what's going on. I'll tell you what's going on. We're at war. It's a different kind of war than you're used to. Because we're not slinging lead. We're in a war. And what's happening in the physical, there's a parallel. What's happening in the spiritual. We're in a war. And it's a war like we've never seen before. You understand me when I tell you right now that the enemy, while all the smoke screens been going on, has been inserting spirits of hatred that are vile into the hearts of humanity, trying to turn us one against the other. My wife and I were watching YouTube today, and there was, a, I think they said, 71-year-old man out in an open place, a great big place, uh, it was a, uh, like a state park. They were walking uh, trails with nobody around. And there were two women walking on that trail that they didn't have a mask because they were breathing outside and there was nobody around. And the man started screaming and yelling at them saying, hey, you ought to have your mask on. Then he got mad and he started spitting on them. He ran up to them, started spitting on them and said, I have COVID. I tested positive for COVID and started spitting on them. Can you imagine? I'm not going to tell you what I told my wife. I'm just going to say it as gentle as I can. Whether he had COVID or not, he'd probably need a hospital by the end of the day. <laughs> Spit on my wife. Lord, I may need to get security to take me out of here tonight. I don't know. I'm tired of the devil working on us. I'm tired of the devil making us feel hopeless. Pastor, there's never been tension like there is right now. There's never been revival like there is right now. I know the enemy wants you to believe that we've come to a dead end street. All I'm saying is if it comes to a dead end, the only way to go is up. Tell somebody close to you, it's not what it looks like. It's not. It's not at all. It looks like the enemy's in control, but he's not. It looks like people ought to be wore out and exhausted and quit praying, but they're not. We got 24-hour prayer chain going right now. The devil hates your guts. He hates that you're praying. He hates that you're fasting. He hates that you've been faithful, but it's not what it looks like. He does not get the last word in your life. prophet they're looking for a good word from the Lord and it's probably not what they expected this seems quite off if you ask me to take a big army of people that are feeling like they're dying of thirst and the word that comes from the mouth of God through the mouth of the prophet is get to work Get a shovel in your hand and start digging. Now, if you look at the original language of this, we think about a ditch. We think about the little ditch out here in front of the church. Dig you a ditch. This actually, the language of this more alludes to the idea of a wide canal. A big, large, wide canal. A big, broad way. 
He said, it's going to take all of you. This is not a small job that two or three of you can do because you're desperate. He said, I'm looking for a whole team of people that are willing to put their hand on the shovel and get to work. You know what we need in this end time church? We need a spirit of unity to get a hold of us. That we're not going to let our brother dig by himself. We're not going to let our sister dig by herself. But we're going to get a hold of this thing and say, Lord, if there's going to be a miracle, I'm going to be right in the middle of it. Hey, I'm telling you, I'm not going to be satisfied to watch some other church get a cool drink of water. If there's a miracle, I want to be in on it. Watch this now. Lord, we're desperate. Okay, here comes your prophetic word. Get busy. What? What happened to deliverance? What happened to deliverance? He said, you don't understand. Now listen, I'm fast forwarding right here. You don't understand. You're getting busy right now will be part of your deliverance in the end. But right now, this is not what it looks like. You think I'm making you work for it. You think that I'm doing a work right now that I'm going to get the glory and you're having to do all the work. I I, I see how this is going. The Bible said that those men took their instruments in hand. They began to dig. They dug wide and they dug deep. They dug that entire valley. According to this book, it said full. Somebody shout full of ditches. From stem to stern. From boundary to boundary, from mountain to mountain, the valley was full of canals and ditches and places for the miracle to come. Why is that important? Because I don't believe the Lord's wanting to give us a half valley full of miracles. I believe that the more they dug and the more busy they got and the more they put their heart into it, they realize we're making room for a miracle right now. We're making room for God to move right now. The wider we dig, the greater the miracle that's coming. Hey, I feel like telling you right now that what God has wanted to do at FPC and in the end time church, it's not some little bitty ditch outpouring, but I believe God has wanted to send us a tsunami wave of the Holy Ghost. We better get busy and get to dig it. Somebody shout it tonight. Shout yes. If you want to make room for a miracle. If you want God to work in this church. If you want God to do a mighty work. Shout it yes. So here's what I'm seeing. You want God to work. Then you got to work. Is that what y'all read in this story? Can you imagine the end time picture of the church when the Lord comes back and we're sitting on our laurels and everybody in the church has got the Holy Ghost and everybody's been baptized. We just sit around and caress one another's ego. The Lord comes back and looks at the church and says, what are y'all doing? We're just waiting. We're just waiting for your return, Lord. We're just waiting on you to show up and do your part. He told Peter, he said, if you bind it on earth, I'll take care of it in heaven. If you loose it on earth, I'll loose it in heaven. I fear that oftentimes we're waiting on heaven 
to do the work. And heaven saying, if you'll get invested in this thing, I'll give you the miracle like you never dreamed in your life. I want to tell you tonight, some of you feel like you got Holy Ghost calluses on your prayer bones. Been down praying, seeking God. Been plugged in every week on that 24-hour prayer chain. And God hasn't moved yet the way that you want God to move. It's not what it looks like. He's working on things that you can't even see. God is working on things that you never knew he was working on. I believe God's been moving mountains that we've never laid an eye on because somebody was willing to work. Tell your neighbor it's not what it looks like. So they did what they were supposed to do. They, They dug the ditches. They dug a place for... The miracle to transpire. It's important for us to know that. But the scripture said in verse 20. It came to pass in the morning. That when the meat offering was offered. Now we're fixing to get down here a little bit where we're living. The first thing is the prophet said I want you to, I want you to work. I want you to make it happen. I want you to get busy. But when the sun came up the next day, it didn't matter how much they had worked the day before. It was time for sacrifice. I figured it'd get quiet right there. Sometimes the 21st century church gets really confused between faithfulness and sacrifice. Faithfulness is doing what you've been commanded to do. Sacrifice goes above and beyond that. This would have been a good time for them to say, Lord, since we dug all day yesterday and we're weary, we don't feel like killing no animals today and offering sacrifice to you. And if we're not careful, listen to pastor, in time church, We're going to start letting our faithful works replace a spirit of sacrifice in us. You've heard me preach about this so many times through the years. But I do fear the confusion between sacrifice and faithfulness has led somewhat to us being led astray from the true ways of the church. I was raised in a generation that Never choose, they never had to, had to choose between coming to the house of God or going to work on Monday. If they had enough gas in their car to get to church on Sunday or work on Monday, they just got up on Sunday morning and they went to church. And I've also said in the testimony services, With those same people. On Wednesday night they'd come back. And they'd say I only had enough gas. To either get to church on Sunday or work on Monday. Is there anybody here tonight that can verify I'm not lying. So I went ahead and put God first. And when I put God first, I got in my car on Monday morning to go to work. And the gas gauge started coming up. I don't know where it came from. 
and I don't know how it happened, but this is what I do know. If we don't provide the place for God to work, he cannot work. Mary looked at the disciples standing around at the marriage supper of Canaan and said, whatever he says to you, do it. And he said to them, my time has not yet come. But all of a sudden, a vacuum was created when they started making space for a miracle that was not there just a few moments ago. God has a way of working when the timing seems to be off because we've made room for God to work. Can you imagine? I sat down with my mother-in-law some time ago. My wife's family and parents have been faithful servants of God. My father-in-law has gone on to his reward. But mom began to tell me the stories of churches that they had started. They were home missionaries for many years. Across Canada, had gone all the way out to the west of British Columbia and started a church and had pastored smaller churches in Canada, came across and pastored churches in Maine, Connecticut. And uh, she began to tell me the story of how money was tight. And this was not just one story, it was on more than one occasion. But they sat down at the table with nothing to eat. Home missionaries. Nothing to eat. And would bless the food that was not there. And when they finished praying over the food that wasn't there. (laughs) Peter and John came to the gate in Acts chapter 3 and said, Silver and gold have I none, but such as I have, give I thee. I wonder sometimes with the modern church, if we were to look at people like that, if we'd have to say exactly the opposite. Silver and gold have we plenty, but such as you need, we don't have any. We talk about faith. We talk about victories. We talk about overcoming. And we don't want to fight to overcome. Can you imagine? I can't. I know know my father-in-law too well. I can't imagine as a man that do anything to provide for his family, sitting down at a table with nothing there, and saying, Lord, I thank you for the food that we're about to receive. And I ask that you would bless it to the nourishment of our bodies and our bodies to your service. What's wrong with you, man? You know there's nothing there. There's no answer there. But at some point, your faith crosses over into a place where the evidence ceases to be the truth. Oh, God, I feel him here. Where the evidence ceases to be your reality. And you begin to see things the way God sees things. He didn't bring me this far to leave me. God did not bring me out here to fail me. God didn't send me to start a church to let my family starve to death. God did not bring us to the end time to let his church starve to death. We're going to see a mighty work of God, but we've got to be willing to do the work. Sacrifice. These are interesting times. 
Because what used to be reasonable service now feels like a sacrifice. Sacrifice costs you much. But when the morning meat offering was offered, that one phrase right there speaks volumes. When the morning offering was offered, in other words, it was finished. We have now come to a place where I feel like God is trying to get to us tonight. And this is what I came to preach to you. They dug the valley full of ditches and canals. They were faithful to what God asked them to do. The next morning they sacrificed and they finished it. Somebody say when it was offered. It was done. The ashes were left. It was a finished work. They had done all they could do. This is it tonight. I don't want you to be disappointed. This is what I came to preach. They had done everything they could do. There was nowhere else for them to go. There was nothing else for them to do. God said dig the valley full. So they dug it full. They were faithful to the law of sacrifice. And they went ahead and sacrificed. I wonder if in the middle of that sacrifice. Somebody wasn't looking at somebody else and saying. Why are we even doing this? Is it even worth it? What if we finish the sacrifice and still die here? Think about it. Yeah. Pepo used to preach all the time in this church. I've heard him preach it a thousand times. I'd rather get to the end and find out I did too much. Than to cross over and find out I just barely missed it. Do you know why the sacrifice was necessary even if God didn't come through? Because if this is the end for us, if this is where we stop, if this is where we finish and cross the line, I want God to come back and say, they gave it all they had. They gave me everything they had. They sacrificed until the last minute. They lived for me with all they had. Some have asked me about my plans for retirement. To be quite honest with you, I don't know how a preacher can ever retire. Because when the Lord comes back or he takes me from here in this earth, I want it to be said that he preached until he drew his last breath. I want it to be said that he reached and he preached until he couldn't preach anymore. I'm telling you as long as there is breath in these old lungs. And as long as there is strength in this body. I'm going to preach because I want it to be said. That if this is my last day. I gave God my best. Just keep on doing it. Don't worry about it. You know we're supposed to be offering this, so don't worry about it. Just do it. Just cut that thing. Let's go. Let's just get this done. Come on, let's offer. When it was offered and it was finished, the word of the Lord said that when the Moabites, now this is the whole reason they came out. The Moabites came, verse 21. 
And they heard that the kings were come up to fight against them. They gathered all that were able to put on armor. And upward, and they stood in the border. If I had time, I'd preach that right there tonight. I love the thought of the enemy having to stand off in the distance and watch me be blessed. And they rose up early in the morning. And the sun shone upon the water. Walked through this with pastor. Who causes the sun to rise? Who knows at what angle the sun needs to be for the optical illusion of defeat to come to the enemy? Because the scripture said that when the Moabites looked out across that valley in ditches that some may have thought was foolish to dig, the enemy said, well, those three kings have already killed one another. They got to fussing and fighting. I love for the enemy to believe That the church is weak, anemic, feeble, and fighting so much with one another that there's nothing left. Because when the Moabites looked out across there, they said, well, it looks like our job's done. And they put their swords away, and they moseyed on down. You can read the King James Version about it, but it said they just eased right on down. They said they've surely slain. And so Moab comes down to spoil. They walk in. They got their cocky heads held back, and the children of Israel jumped on them and conquered them. How did it happen when the children of Israel did all that they could do God said now I'll do my part when you've done all you can do there's going to be a Holy Ghost outpouring and God will do what only he can do God has a way and I'm closing of doing what we just can't do I don't believe there was a man alive that were representing the armies of God that had any clue at all when God told them to dig those ditches throughout that valley that they had any clue that those valleys were for anything but a cool drink of water. But the prophecy was twofold. I'll send the water and I'll deliver the Moabites into your hand. I'm reaching for somebody tonight And telling you, don't give up before the miracle is finished. Because it's not what it looks like. He's still working for you. God is still working on your behalf. What you don't know while you're down there in the valley offering sacrifice. While you're doing everything you know to do. Is that the angel of the Lord is sweeping through the camp of the Moabites. And saying now is the time that I need you to go to the border of the mountain. And look out across that valley. There is an optical illusion that you've already been defeated. And that's what the enemy wants you to believe. But the Holy Ghost said... I will deliver the Moabites into your hand. Let's stand together. There are times in my life that I've honestly honestly asked the Lord, is this it? Is it over? Is this the best we got? 
And when I just kept on doing what I knew to do, there was an almighty hand that would show up. You don't believe me? Ask them three Hebrew boys. When the only thing they knew to do was just keep on standing. And they came and grabbed them and threw them in the fire. And it looked like it was an optical illusion of defeat. Until the king's men looked over the top of that oven. And said, how many did you throw in there? Because I see four. God likes to show up when you've done all that you can do. And you've prayed all that you can pray. And you fought all that you can fight. It's time to let God be God. And it's time for the church to be the church. Let's do whatever we've got to do. And let God move. How's it going to happen, Pastor? I don't know. Who would have ever dreamed that ditches would be the answer? Who would have ever dreamed that the fiery furnace they thought would kill them would be the answer? Who would have ever thought a lion's den would be the answer? But God has a way of working. When your back's against the wall and you've done absolutely everything that you know to do. So I'm asking you tonight for a moment of transparency. With every head bowed right now and every eye closed. If you've come to a place in your life where you feel like you've given God your best. But the answer has not yet come. But you know that there's something stirring in the Holy Ghost. And you know that God is still able to do what he said he would do. I'm asking you to just stretch those hands towards heaven right now. And if you feel to do it, just take a step of faith. And walk to this altar tonight and say, Lord, I'm going to give you everything I've got. And I'm asking you to move for me tonight. Halabobo shokotoyandabahaya.